What will you do to unlock innovation? In today's fast-paced world, innovation might not be enough. Tomorrow's pioneers of change will need to be agile, able to adapt, and committed like never before. Your host, Santa Vending, invites you to listen in and join business leaders from around the world as they share their visions for success in our future business challenges. Welcome to Mind Innovation. I'm your host, Santa Vending. I'm always excited to learn. And in today's podcast, we're going to talk about that leadership is not one dimensional. We're going to talk about audacious leadership. I want to welcome Roy Oseng. He's a former president, CMO, and entrepreneur with over 40 years of successful and unmatched executive leadership experience in every aspect of business. He's devoted to inspiring leaders, entrepreneurs, and organizations to stand apart from the average boring crowd and achieve their true potential. Welcome, Roy. I'm, I'm really excited and happy to have you on, on the podcast today. I'm grateful that you asked. I, I really enjoy doing shows like this. It gives me an opportunity to tell my story and I really appreciate it. Yeah. And I love to learn. So let's, let's get started. So the first one is not going to be a surprise for any listener, right? Um, so what is audacious leadership? Like what, what do you mean about it? Yeah. So if you dig into the, the, I mean, audacious, uh, I discovered was a word that, that really resonated with how I, um, how I behaved as a leader, the sorts of things that I did as a leader. I mean, things like bold, uh, in, in some cases, courageous when, when everything was going sideways, yeah, uh, unheard of, just generally um, being in a position of not wanting to conform with the way things are, but rather wanting to break away from them. Yeah. And so what I tried to do is sort of capture that, that whole idea of breakaway, uh, bold, boldness, et cetera, uh, in in a word that I thought might be uh, helpful in terms of describing my past, and so the the word audacious just just fits with me. I mean, it's it's yeah. who I am, and so as it related to to leadership, I mean, I I basically decided very very early on that that I wasn't going to follow rote as a as it relates to leadership. That I was going to be uncomfortable with with the traditional ways of doing things the textbook ways of doing things. And it's not, not that the textbooks were wrong. It's just that they don't go far enough. And the reason for that is the people generally that write those are not practitioners. They're not people that have run a billion dollar a year business and have learned often the hard way what works and what doesn't. <laughs> so I decided I'm moving away from the crowd of academics that look at leadership a certain way. Yeah, I'm going to use things like execution as my as my guidepost, right? In terms of what I should be as a leader. Yeah. And, and so that whole thing evolved uh, over a number of years. And in retrospect, I mean, given the sorts of things that, that, that I ended up doing, uh, it was audacious in terms of the times of the day. And then what we did, it was, it was breakaway. It was different and, and it was tough. Yeah. So you have to like accept that somebody can criticize you, right? Or there's some tolerances that if there's any change going on, you have to be adaptable um, to, to that part as well. And you also need to find somebody who, who supports you of where you are and getting some supports. So can you tell me about, about this journey? Because it's not, a, it's not yeah. as I said, it's not like one dimensional, right? There's a lot of factors around you. Well, one of the things that I've always said, and I've written an awful lot about this in my blogs, is that 
is that you know the ability to tolerate pain is a key strategic concept. Yeah. <laughs> and when it comes to uh, you know leadership in an audacious breakaway way, it was critical. I mean, you know, because you're right. I mean, the internal pressures um, forcing you back into the norms are, are yeah. horrendous. And so to have the have the energy and the tenacity to keep pushing forward with what you believe in yeah. um, is absolutely necessary. And if you can't do that, if you, if you're not willing to make that investment, and it's an emotional investment, mm-hmm. and you don't want to do the audacious journey uh, whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, to your point, it is multidimensional. But as I think about about it, for me. One of the key the- key themes driving the sorts of things that I did as a, as a leader yeah. was execution. Um, there's far too much planning. There's far too much attention given in the world, in business world particularly, to get the plan perfectly right and have it conform to the pedantic scriptures as promulgated by authors, not yeah. authors, but experts and, and professors and, you know, purely this, again, this whole textbook thing. So yeah. I reasoned that to be effective, to get really good performance. Yeah. You have to have a plan that's, I call it just about right. Yeah. But you have to be able to execute a mediocre plan really, really well. And typically that will beat any other organization out there. And the reason for that is while they're pondering on what perfection is, yeah. I'm beating their pants Stop. off in the market. <laughs> you already oh, passed them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like see ya. Uh, I yeah, I heard somebody say you will never be an expert. You can have expertise. Um, well, and that expertise is learning from what you do. Yeah, it's not from it's not from pontificating no. about possibilities. Yeah, it's about learning from what you do and keep yeah. trying and trying. I mean, trying is a key strategic concept. Yeah, people that generally try more are more successful. Yeah. Right. But but you need to have that that mindset. So I used execution as a guideline. So, you know, what are the th- sorts of things that we need to do to execute brilliantly? Yeah. Tended to be kind of like a, a guiding light for me and in, in my what I did as a leader. Yeah. Um, what, what about a risk? I, w- I would like if you can share some examples, you know, what kind of risk did you face through your career? Well, I mean, one of one of I mean, there. First of all, there's, there's, there was no silver bullet that no. did it for me. It was a bunch of, to your point about multidimensional things, it was a bunch of little things that were done, sometimes sequentially, sometimes concurrently, but they were done. Nano, I call them getting a nano inch worth of progress which yeah. is, and get it fast, right? And so the sorts of things that, that uh, I did is um, I created this uh, new planning process for my business. So don't forget, we we started we started the internet business and grew it to a billion in annual revenue over a number of years. And one of the reasons we were able to do that is I actually created a, a planning process that enabled execution. So in other words, the nature of the planning process was all about how can I execute? How can I execute? Not serving some pedantic scripture of theoretical strategic plan builds, right? Like SWATs and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> so I came up with a really simple um, uh, process. And it was, if you can answer three questions really well, you have what I would call a strategic game plan. Mm-hmm. And it was called a game plan 
because it was built to execute, right? Yeah. Three questions were how big do you want to be, which is which is a question about top line revenue growth in 24 months, not five years, not 10 years. Don't yeah. believe in five-year plans, but in 24 months, yeah. do you want to be a $20 million company from a 10 million? Co- what do you want to be, right? Yeah. The reason that question is the first question is that it basically defines the character of your strategy. Is it going to be aggressive, high risk, yeah. or if you want to grow 10%, is it going to be, going to be incremental and require less risk? So we go yeah. back. Second question is, who, what customer group am I going to get the money from? Mm-hmm. Okay. Whoever you choose better have the latent potential to deliver the revenue goal. So we go through that. And the third piece is how are you going to compete and win? And that's where we talk about the created this idea called the only statement. I think you we talked about that at our last yeah. call. And it's a really simple way to declare your competitive advantage. Instead of saying, I call it the claptrap statements like we're the best, we're number one, we're market leaders, all of those meaningless statements. Yeah. Uh, we say we are the only ones that. Yeah. And if you can complete that sentence, you've got, uh, first of all, a binary statement that's either right or wrong, and you can see it and you can prove it. Yeah. And you have the opportunity to actually go forward and, and use that and revise it as we go. So the planning process was unheard of. Yeah. That I created because, and, and literally you can do this in two days. All right. Yeah. So talk to me about how many strategies you've seen that can be effectively done in two days and hit the bricks running on the third executing. That's not, not very many. No. <laughs> so it's, it's, but it's practical and simple. And I've had people yeah. say to me, oh my God, that is so easy. Yeah. And that's, that's the response I like to get from my work. Roy, I didn't realize it was that simple. Simple. Roy, it must be more complicated. <laughs> I have all these books around. No, <laughs> I know. So that was just one, one example, just another yeah. quick one. Yeah. Um, I probably spent too much time on that one. A, a really cool little, uh, little recruitment um, tip. And that is that in a world where customer loyalty is so important yeah. uh, and, and recognizing that loyalty is driven by really by taking care of how people feel about you as an organization yeah, I generated this recruitment process called hiring for goosebumps. So what I wanted to do is put in place a process where we would actually hire human beings that loved other human beings. I mean, they were born with this innate ability to serve, right? Yeah. You can learn, you can teach people how to smile, but you can't teach them how to love people, right? So what <laughs> I wanted to do is I wanted to recruit these people. Yeah. So one of the questions I asked a prospective candidate for my organization was, do you love human beings? <laughs> well, <laughs> in many respects, they were kind of put off by that question. Yeah. It was a trick question, but not knowing exactly what the answer was. And of course they would say either, yeah, they would have to say yes, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes, I do, Roy, I love, I love people. And I would say, tell me a story that would prove to me your love for humans. And that's where the separation comes. Because the people that knew it was a game or thought it was a game and were playing it, they had horrible answers, right? The people <laughs> really did like humans. They had like one. Yeah. The richest, deepest, most emotional, laden story you, you could imagine. And guess what that story did? Yeah, it touched it gave you. Me goosebumps. Yeah. And I would hire that person. Yeah. Right. So that was another crazy thing. People thought I was nuts doing that. But guess what? After doing it for a while, my, my management team, my leadership team. Yeah. 
I'd say, hey, did you hire for goosebumps today? And they would tell me a story. It's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, those, I, those are cool. I mean, there's a ton of those things, but yeah. you know, we can. No, but but that's that's you don't have six hours. I don't have six hours, no. <laughs> <laughs> we have to have a sequel somewhere. No. Um, what about, so it touches a little bit because I was going to talk about, you know, what's the difference between le leadership and motivation? And I think you're touching that as well, right? On that human factor. Um, no, so I, even, uh, even when you hire then the great people in to, to your team, um, how, do you, how do you keep that motivation there? Well, I mean, for me, uh, it may be different from others, but for me, uh, motivating people was all about, connecting with them emotionally. Yeah. It ain't, it's not about the intellect. It's not about convincing their mind. It isn't. It's about convincing their heart. Okay. And if you get yeah. them and you light those fires, yeah, they basically will say, okay, what do you want me to do? What, yeah. what shall I do here? And make it easy for them to do their job. Okay. So it's, it's about that connection. Now, not, not everybody finds, finds it, easy or comfortable to do that. For me, it was pretty simple. I mean, I spent a lot of time with the people in my organization. Yeah. I had what I I had kind of like what I call leadership by serving around mentality. That was my mantra. It wasn't management by wandering around. It was leadership by serving around. Yeah. And I'd go out in the workplaces and and my question that I would always ask is uh, other than the pleasantries was how can I help? Yeah. What do you need from me? Yeah. That's powerful as heck. If you can deliver on it, if you don't deliver on it, it's, it's a train wreck. And so yeah. many people try it because wow, intellectually, they think it's a good idea <laughs> and they can't deliver. So for me, it was pick and choose where I go, but over time you get to, you get to be with your frontline people and be with people in the organization. Yeah. And they, 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 they got to know that I was there to help. Yeah. And that was it. And they could trust that if they told me what they needed, I would deliver through our, our organization. Uh -huh. So that, that, that motivation connection thing is huge. Yeah. Uh, and again, it's not about, it's not about the left brain. It's, it's not about, you know, whether logically this is a good thing. It's like, how do I feel about that? How do I feel about that? Yeah. You know, no, that, I, I really like that because it, it is to, it is a team, I think, as well, right? When you look at organizations, it's, it's never just one person. Um, you, you need to be a team, and sometimes you need to have multiple hats on to get to that end goal or, or where, you, where you're going. Oh, absolutely, uh, it's a team. Yeah. Absolutely, it's a team. And yeah. if you don't have the collective um, all going in the same direction, and typically what happens and believing the same thing, I mean, dysfunction sets in, and you don't, you don't get any progress. I, I created this concept called line of sight. Yeah. What the line, what line of sight is, is it's a translation of your strategic game plan into exactly what it means for every individual in the organization. Because if they don't know how to behave relative to the strategy, guess what happens? They invent their own behavior. Yeah. And so does the person next to them. And generally they're different. Yeah. And so you get all sorts of dysfunction. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time translating our game plan into what does it mean for a salesperson? Yeah. What does it mean for a marketing analyst? What does it mean for an internal auditor? Heaven forbid that they should have some strategic alignment, right? Well, they do. 
especially the ones that, you know, audit procedures and things oh, of yeah. that nature, which sometimes yeah. get in the way of, of providing good customer service. Yeah. I mean, so that was huge. It was so laborious to do that. But I tell you once, and, and of course, everybody participated in defining what their role should be to execute yeah. the strategy. So they owned it. Yeah. Piece of cake once that was done. I didn't have to convince them. They knew exactly what to do. Sounds so easy. No, <laughs> it is to make it simple, right? And remove the friction. That's, oh, that's, yeah. that's, that's I mean, what I And that, that's a key strategic concept, simplicity. Yeah. Because I, I honestly believe that people, uh, people today, a lot of people ascribe um, value and merit to complex ideas unnecessarily. It's yeah. like, if it's not a complex idea, it can't be a good one, Roy. I mean, you're giving it to me way too simple. And if it were that simple, somebody would have thought of it, right? No, yeah, <laughs> because people don't have the same level of experience. They're not living in the trenches trying to get a billion. So how would they ever know? Yeah. How would they ever know that killing dumb rules is a great thing to do? <laughs> how would they know that? Because without, without being in the trenches, being in the pit, you don't realize that rules encumber people. They yeah. get in the way of performance, right? They get in the way of, of customer satisfaction. And why shouldn't we cleanse the internal environment of that garbage? Yeah. Well, I spent a lot of time doing that and we had fun. I had t-shirts. Yeah. White t-shirts with dumb rules on it, a big circle and an yeah. X through it. And it said, kill dumb rules. <laughs> and I would go through the workplace with these t-shirts. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. And, and, and if it's a, every year, you know, right? The longer the history of a company there is, you're just adding these rules or these procedures. And Absolutely at a certain right. point, you look back and somebody will say, why? And they're like, oh, that's because we've always done it like yeah. this, right? Don't be silly. We've always done it. It yeah. goes like this. It's, it's, yeah. like, it's like finding a fossil, right? In those yeah. layers of, 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 of sediment, yeah. right? And yeah. it just keeps going and going. And, yeah. and it can ex extend, you know, even your, if you have to send out a quote or it's approval process internal, right? Suddenly it's, I don't know, eight people who need to look at it where you're like, why? Um, yeah, maybe they did one mistake once and then they're like, oh, we need to set all these checkpoints in and it's not yeah. necessary. It's, it's just say, you know, let's just validate up front instead. There's so many other options you can do, right? Instead of just make clutter. Well, one, one, of, the, one of the things I used to, I, I have done rules contests. Right? <laughs> yeah. And so what I would do is say, look, the objective is to identify dumb rules Yeah. Kill them or otherwise change them or yeah. at least make them customer friendly. Right. If I mean, because there may be legal reasons why we have to do this. At yeah. least let's make it customer friendly. Yeah. Well, we would have contests, quarterly contests, whoever can come up with and actually either kill, revise or make it customer yeah. friendly, those rules. And we'd have we'd have prizes. We'd have celebrations to see. Who got the dumbest rid of the dumbest rule? And I would hold my executive, my management team responsible for implementing whatever typically were frontline recommendations. Because all you got to do is ask a frontline person, are there any stupid rules we have that really cheese customers off? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Stand back. Because <laughs> here they come, right? Because they know. And so we just, I mean, it's a simple, silly little concept, but it's an example. Yeah. Well, first awesome. of all, how to capture their hearts and have fun. But secondly, the benefits were unbelievable. Yeah. Because we now got rid of irrelevant stuff, to your point. Yeah. That 
a rule that had been here for 150 years and nobody knew why yeah. it didn't perform any value whatsoever. We got rid of those and we made room to do new stuff. Yeah. Was, right. The capacity went like this and we could get on with it. So productivity actually went up yeah. and people just had a blast. Oh, that's good. But I've seen some places where, yeah, you can look into it if you call it a process or the rules, right? And you're like, oh, it's not working. But you could have somebody saying, oh, if I know if I put my hand up, right, I own it and then I need to drive it and I need to, to you know, succeed with it. So then instead of actually raving your flag and saying, hey, we should do something about that, they're like, better just to be silent. What, what do you, how do you, how do you trick that one or handle that one? Is that, is it the culture or how do you, how do you go? Well, about it is. And it, it, it all does come back to how safe people feel with the leadership that's involved. Yeah. So this doesn't happen overnight, right? Like, oh my God. I mean, there's a lot of people that I actually got from my data and internet organization that I, that was the startup piece that yeah. I actually dragged from the voice world where I was an executive before. I dragged those people with me yeah, because I knew what they could do and they knew what to expect from me. So we already had that relationship. If you don't have that, it takes longer. Okay. okay? But, but no kidding. You got to stay with it and stay with it. It's the right thing yeah. to do. Yeah. People don't go like this because they feel at risk. They feel like if, if this goes south, I'm going to be punished. Yeah. Right. And there's plenty of evidence in any organization to prove that. Yeah. So what audacious leaders have to do is they have to make it a safe environment. Yeah. Got to got to uh, got to allow mistakes. I mean, mistakes are the one of the best drivers of innovation, anyways. Yeah. Yeah. You never get it right the first time, in spite of the total quality management ethic of a hundred years ago that said we got to do it right the first time. That's actually wrong because, from a customer loyalty point of view, customers are more loyal if you screwed them over and recovered exceedingly well, then never having screwed them over at all. You realize that? Yeah. So making mistakes and recovering well is a key concept for building customer loyalty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and it, it do it well. I would, just right? say, I, would get, I would get people saying, okay, Roy, I know how to do that. We're <laughs> going to make some strategic errors, recover real well and up will go loyalty. And I, I kept saying to them, well, we probably don't have to try to make <laughs> they're already happening. <laughs> We're gonna make a, the occasional one. But it's true. Uh, yeah. It's true. Just think of your oh, own personal yes. experience when yeah. somebody has screwed you over and then done something to make it better and surprised you, you go, Well, that's okay. And then and you, you tell, tell everybody story. about that. You story. actually tell your experience saying, Hey, this happened to me. Right. And you tell it and you tell it out how it actually ended really well and saying, yeah, even though it maybe it took some time, it ended really well. So it, it, it's a happy note. So even if you tell that to colleagues or to other companies or your friends, right, then suddenly, as you just said, yeah, it just it flips around to be a positive um, experience or memory. Very few people, very few organizations have what I call a service recovery strategy. Yeah. In, in, in my organization, we did. Because we consciously used mistakes to transform an experience for a customer and make them more loyal. And yeah. it worked like you wouldn't, you wouldn't. And I was involved in a lot of recoveries where we made huge mistakes. Yeah. To actually get the customer back online, as it were, and do something to surprise them. The surprise element in business, quite frankly, is, is not used enough. Like people 
when people are surprised, they get emotional. Yeah. When people get emotional, they feel comfortable. And when people feel comfortable, they stay loyal. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a very logical process that you go through, right? So we figured that out. And we had as part of our service strategy that when we screw a customer over, recovery is going to be our number one priority. Yeah. That goes with yeah, the and Lift it up, right? And that's the prioritization. Yeah. Uh, That's awesome. Um, I, I, a lot of the podcast, I always, we talk about, you know, the whole transformation and, and employees of people and you and me, right? It's not, sometimes it's not easy to, to change the way you're doing things. So what, what kind of advice, um, because no matter whatever organization I've been in, and I'm sure you've seen it as well, you, you have all kind of different people that is together there. And you have the people that will run in the front saying, yes, I'm ready to do the change. And you have other people saying, Nah, I'm not in right now. So, um, how? What? What's your advice? Yeah. So, um, I mean, for me, uh, it's always a good idea to kind of level set the playing field. And by that, I mean, if you can get people to to make the change uh, part of who they are, right? Make them engage them in believing in the change. Yeah. Then the downstream stuff is a lot easier. The the uh, the vehicle I used for that was engaging everybody in the creation of the strategy for the organization. Now, for me, it had to be done that way because yeah. I was taking the total organization from a voice world into a data world. Okay, from a, a voice skill set to a data skill set, from a voice culture to a data culture, which had to be really fast and nimble. So I had to re rearchitect the strategic plan for it, and and so for me, that was an opportunity to engage everybody in that journey and the definition of it. So by the time we actually had it set, um, it wasn't something that needed to be sold because people were engaged in that anyways. And so, as a general concept, when you're looking at something that is going to change people's lives. If you don't engage them up front, see nothing happens. So you may think that you're you're changing and making progress, but you're not because yeah. these people are doing everything to sewer the idea because it's not part of who they are. So the good leaders, the audacious leaders, mm -hmm. figure out a way to do that. Yeah, and it's horrifically hard work. Yeah, but if but you can't escape it. You have to do it. And and by the way, guess what you find. You actually find some ideas that people have are better than yours. Yeah. <laughs> And you get a chance to tweak what yeah. you've done, ascribe the value to them, make them heroes. And guess what happens? Magic. Magic moments, those are. <laughs> They're going to love it because they've been part of it. Exactly. Yeah. And they tell, their, they tell their friends, they tell their colleagues, they tell what a great place it is to work. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's kind of, that's, that kind of makes the execution piece, which again, let's always remember, we're doing all this to execute. Yeah. That's where the results are. All yeah. these little things aren't done because they're fun ideas. They're done because they aid in a bad execution. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that takes me to the next one, which is also one I, I'm repeating because it, it, you know, to, to fail, right. 
of be of be afraid of the fear of failing as well. Yeah. Um, and I love to learn. And I totally, you know, I know we're on the same side here, right? You you have to make to experiments. You have to go through it, and then you find out. Instead of maybe I call it not a failure, right? You can say, hey, now I know this didn't work. Um, and then I will try something else and, and then go in that direction. But but again, not everybody is caught the same way to be honest about saying, hey, this is how I failed or saying, hey, this didn't work. Now, you know, let's do something else. So how, I, again, around, you know, having a culture, um, how do you foster that, 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 that your employees are not afraid of it? Well, yeah, I mean, people step out and they get punished. It's not going to take them very long to realize stepping out is not a good idea. Yeah. But it start, again, it starts with the audacious leader who says to the organization, uh, those people who are prepared to try more than others are going to be more successful. Yeah. And I recognize that that's going to result in mistakes. I don't mind mistakes. So this is what I used to say. I don't mind people making mistakes, but don't ever, ever make the same mistake twice because that says you didn't learn from the first screw up. Yeah. After all, if, if I, if, if the philosophy is to make mistakes part of the innovation process and it is, then you can't say, then you can't make mistakes. But what you can say is, um, yeah, you, you make that same mistake twice. That says you didn't learn from it. And that's not on, that's an answer. You're going to get hammered if you do that. Simple. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And most people, um, they come at it at various speeds. Some people are just like way over on the right hand side of the of the distribution curve and they're just there with you. The other ones are at the other tail and they're not going to move. <laughs> what you really want is take those people right in, the, in a big part of the bell curve. Yeah. Ten percent. Yeah. Because that's where the power comes from. That's where the major impact in the organization comes from. Yeah. I used to have. um tries as part of the performance management process where everybody's performance plan for the year involved how many tries are you going to make every week i want to see them that's cool i want to see evidence that you're trying new stuff and if you don't try you're going to get you're going to get a hit because that means you're not your performance plan you're not making it yeah at first right yeah exactly yeah how many performance plans have you seen with with the number of tries as an objective no and you, you know why, right? Because the pundits, the pundits don't think that's a good idea because getting it right is the objective. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? It's whatever works to move the organization forward an inch. Yeah. That's what you do. Yeah. That's what you do in a world complicated by bias and all of the imperfections of human beings. We need to look at that and pick and choose those powerful magic moment points yeah. that are going to move the organization forward. Yeah. And that's our job as leaders. If we're out doing something, if we're catering to the board more than we're catering to the front line, we're making a huge mistake. I used to cancel meetings with board members. Yeah. And at first they were kind of mad at me until I explained to them why. Okay. I'd say to my boss, a CEO and say, you know, I'm not going to be able to make that, uh, that executive meeting. Cause I got a really important meeting with a huge client downtown who we've been screwing over for months and we we just i gotta fix this yeah and after the first one or two that was okay you know and i got i got known as as the the utility guy that was in the field (laughs) constantly and probably gonna miss meetings that's audacious Uh, yeah 
to learn that. Um, if there's any young leaders like listening right now, what where what should they look at? You know, skill set or what what should they put in their backpack if you're looking for the next like five to ten years? Well, first of all, I mean, you really have to commit. Yeah. Okay. You have to be all in emotionally to this journey. You can't you, you can't intellectualize it and think that's going to do it for you. It won't. And, and the reason for that is there's too many. Uh, there's too many PowerPoints along the way that cause you pain. Yeah. Now, pain is not an intellectual concept, right? It's an emotional thing. So yeah. if you're not into this thing and really believe that execution is the end goal, for an example, and that everything that you do has got to drive execution. If you don't believe that that's, that's fu a fundamental responsibility of, of an audacious leader, then don't do it because you'll yeah. fail. And people will see you for what you are, phony, superficial, and tripe, quite frankly. And you give the, you give the, the word audacious a bad taste. <laughs> <laughs> and so get yourself committed. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I'm trying to do, as you know, is I'm just trying to, to put it out there. I'm yeah. not trying to be prescriptive. Uh, I have no right to say you should do this because it will work in your case, what I'm saying is, here's a bunch of ideas that are, are intended to do certain things. Um, you can trust that they will work if you do them, because I did them. And the proof point of that is a billion in sales. So that's pretty tight, right? That's a great business yeah. case. I just need to get people trying some of this stuff because it's such a deviation from what they're used to. And if they do try a few things and they get committed, okay, now... That's the first piece. The yeah. second piece is go talk to your frontline people and, and be their best friends forever. Yeah. Okay. Spend more time. Forget about the board and your executive colleagues. Go talk to your frontline and find out what's going on. What is it that they need you to do for them? Yeah. To make their lives better. Why do you do that? It's execution focused. Yeah. And that's where all sorts of stuff starts to happen. Like for me, That exposed my dumb rules initiative. Yeah. That exposed my bear pit session initiative. That, ex that, that exposed my cut the crap initiative. <laughs> that exposed the line of sight leadership idea. All came from spending copious amounts of time with frontline people yeah. and listening to them and understanding them and believing them and responding to them and asking for yeah. their support. It's not rocket science, but it's hard. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of like getting that mental frame of people who are taught to do different things. They're not taught to do what I just said. No. In fact, you know, most people don't even think about an execution plan for their business, right? They, they get the plan in place and then they, the business development guys toss it off to somebody and they expect that this, <laughs> that this, This wonderfully pristine ironed document called a strategic plan yeah. will miraculously de descend on the organization and it shall be done. <laughs> <laughs> right? I can tell you. That's like what ma magic that's. dust just going out. No. <laughs> magic dust. And go poof. Okay, poof for the market leader and now the other claptrap yeah. like that. Yeah. And, and oh. you know, the, the, the audacious journey is a tough one. Yeah. Now, having said that, uh, it's very rewarding and you have to, so you have to be committed. You have to talk to your frontline, 
you have to be patient. Yeah. And you have to have a high tolerance for pain. Yeah. I know I make fun of that, but it's true. Oh, you need because to have- it's easy to be put off. It's easy to say, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And you need to have a mentor, by the way, who has an MBA. Yeah. Master in business achievement. These are not MBAs that you and I would normally think about. These are guys whose whole life has been spent executing in the trenches, getting dirty. That's the mentor you want. Yeah. They will help you. Okay. In this, this execution oriented journey called audacious leadership, yeah. forget the mentor with three or four or five or six or seven letters behind their name. It doesn't <laughs> matter. It's the experience. It doesn't matter. It's who has yeah. delivered what in the trenches where life is a mess. Yeah. And I had some of those. We all have it. Um, looking back, what would you tell yourself like, like 20 years ago? What, sorry, what was the question? Repeat the question. So what would you tell yourself, you know, like 20 years oh. ago of what kind of advice would you give yourself? Wow. If I had to do it over again, 20 yeah. years ago, um, I, I would have, I think, been um, a little more um, demanding of my education, um, not realizing that, that a lot of it is not helpful when it comes to being successful as a leader. I think I would have been a lot more demanding of, of the nature of the learning process when I was younger. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a problem with everybody today. Like as you, you probably talk to young professionals and, you know, they're, they're challenged with questions like, oh, should I take this job? Because I'm not sure whether it's in my career path. (laughs) Really? Well, I'll tell you what, if you don't take the job, you'll never know. Yeah. So what I, I get them doing stuff, get a job, forget the career, go get a job and learn and then move from there. Well, that whole notion isn't taught to you. So there's little things like that, that, that I would like to be able to rewrite the curriculum Yeah. for people who are interested in going into business. I could rewrite that today. Well, yeah. actually I did. I've just written a book, right? Yeah, you did. We have to talk about it. There you go. Yeah. So I did that, but that, that, that would be huge. Uh, You know, big shortfall uh, we have. And again, I'm not slamming the education system. It is what it is, but it's not enough is my point. Yeah. Cool. So if uh, anything, you know, anybody from Mind Innovation and listener, you want to connect to you and also, you know, you're an author, you have more, more written more books. So, um, you know, how, where do they find the books and how do they actually connect to you? Yeah, first of all, I would love to have a conversation, however that happens with people who are intrigued by this conversation. I really would. Um, the, the, the main source is my website. It's bedifferentorbedead.com. Um, and there you can find, I blog every week about my stuff. Every Monday, a new blog. So please subscribe to my blog. I'm working so hard at it. And every, every week I learn more about my stuff. Yeah. Um, so you can see that as well as, yeah, I've got seven books out on Be Different or Be Dead. Yeah. The latest one dealing with uh, the audacious ways I took a startup to a billion. And, and that's kind of like, in a way, it's an updated version of a lot of the content because it's fresher and so on and so forth. Um, and so there's those resources available. 
but the other thing too is just to keep it informal. I mean, if, when people contact me through my my Gmail account, roy.osing at gmail.com, um, we have wonderful conversations. I'm happy to jump in and give an opinion. That's it. Awesome. And I will make sure as well in the show notes that I'll have links, you know, to your to your website and, and also to the books. So thank you so much today. I, I had really it was really great conversation. And and also just in the beginning where you said let not not don't write, you know, be the best or I'm the one, right? But be the only one. Um I like that one. I need to use that one. Well, hey, listen, have a go at that if I can help at all. It's underused. It really is in business. Um, and you can use it for your career too, by the way. Like I'm the only person with the appropriate marketing and sales skills in a highly competitive environment. Take the company where it needs to go with proof, proof points. <laughs> yeah. It works. Uh, yeah. It's worked for me. And so it's good. But, but seriously, thank you so much for the invite. I really enjoyed it. Enjoy our conversation and enjoy the opportunity to talk to your, your viewers and your listeners. And uh, as I say, if I can be of any help, please don't hesitate to give me a show. If you enjoy this podcast, maybe you'd like to hear more, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure also to check out our website, mindtheinnovation.com. And remember, stay curious and keep learning.